All right. Welcome to the Abstract Audio Podcast, guys. I'm your host, Derek. Um, briefly, I wanted to touch on the playlist. I hope you guys got a chance to listen to it or gave it a chance and listened to it. Um, I thought it was dope, a 20-track playlist, and I took some time sequencing it. I feel like that first third of the playlist was very well sequenced, um, but also I understand that the mixture of songs might not be for everyone, and that's cool. You know, I want it to be different artists that you may not have heard of or lesser-known songs by artists that you may have heard of, and um, I hope I did that, and I hope I, or, or just gave you guys some shit to throw on. Um, I do think I kept it varied from, you know, the popular songs that you're going to find on other playlists, on like every other playlist, but um, I look forward to your guys' feedback, and uh, I had fun making it. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, and as always, thank you guys for supporting the podcast in, in whatever form that you do, even if you just give one episode a listen and this is your episode, you know, uh, I appreciate it greatly. Um, we have quite a bit to talk about today, uh, quite a bit of shit that's going on. So let's get started with Michael fucking Bisping. Um, this crazy ass warrior is, mind you, UFC 217 was on November 4th, right? About three weeks ago, I think. Um, well now, and, and you know how he got choked out and everything and lost to GSP? Um, well, yeah, he's going to fight this weekend in Shanghai against Kelvin Gastelum. Uh, now, that's no knock to Michael Bisping for his loss against GSP. I mean, GSP looked fucking amazing and doubly amazing for coming off of uh, four years, a four-year layoff. That's fucking crazy. But um, what's even crazier, I think, is that the commission is allowing Michael Bisping to fight with that quick of a turnaround. That might be the quickest turnaround ever. I don't know. Um, and, and I don't know. And initially, so when I think about this, initially I was upset because I'm worried, you know, for Michael Bisping, not because of the threat, the very real threat that Kelvin Gastelum presents, but more so just worried because, you know, as far as his health as a fighter and an athlete, um, I think there are precautions put in place and standards put in place to protect that, you know, to protect the athlete, obviously to protect the organization, but more, more importantly, to protect the athlete, in my opinion. And, um, and so initially it worried me, um, and it still does, but as it gets closer, I do see it as, you know, with that loss, you can, you know, when you immediately fight afterwards, um, like Connor with the loss to Nate Diaz, uh, I think when you do that, you, in my opinion, you increase your chances of, you certainly decrease the chances of letting your mentality get to you. I think the best example of that would be Ronda Rousey with that loss, the devastating loss, and then 
two years to let that just sink in and rot in your fucking brain. Now, these these are athletes. They're, they're likely very confident athletes as well because they're world class. You know, they're not there for no reason. But in Ronda's case, I think anyone could have been beaten by their mentality when you take that much time, right? Because just about everyone has at least some extent of doubt in their mind, right? And you just, you know, you overcome that in whatever way that you overcome that. But even if it's the slightest thought in the back of your head that is very infrequent, when you let that fucking just fester over two years, that's likely going to not only keep reoccurring, but the frequency of it's going to reoccur. I just, I'm getting at that. I just think that that was almost likely more mental than anything because we saw a completely different Ronda. And uh, and I don't know. So I'm trying to look at the positives here for Bisping to immediately turn around and kind of um, just make up for his loss. But Kelvin is no slouch. You know, Kelvin is one hell of a competitor. And, um, and even Michael Bisping's coach recently uh, was, I believe it was in an interview... Yeah, uh, an interview on ESPN's Five Rounds podcast. Uh, He said, really, Kevin is, in my opinion, on the feet, a tougher fight than George St. Pierre, which is very interesting. I think think GSP was a very, clearly, he was a very worthy opponent, but he goes forward to explain himself, saying it's not like Mike's a guy that shoots – and wrestles all the time, so obviously it's going to be a lot of stand-up fighting, and this guy's a bigger threat than I think that even GSP was, so I don't know, I I think, uh, you know, Kelvin can surely not be underestimated, and um, I'm just more so worried for Michael's health, I look forward to the fight, I think it's a hell of a fight, but in all honesty, um, I don't know. We'll see. He mentions later in the interview that it could affect him in a negative way or a positive way. We'll have to see. And that's what initially made me start thinking, you know, that is true when you immediately, you know, turn around and try and avenge your loss. Um, That seemed to work in the past for athletes. Now, I don't know if that's even something that matters to Bisping. You know, he's just like a fucking warrior at heart. So maybe he just wants to fight, period. But it is crazy considering that was on November 4th. Mind you, this UFC Fight Night 122 taking place in Shanghai is this Saturday. And uh, that's, what, four weeks later. But when you consider that Silva was caught for PEDs by USADA maybe, what, two weeks ago? And uh, and so Michael Bisping might have been training, you know, just being the athlete that he is. But a lot of these guys, a lot of these athletes, uh, rightfully so, they kind of just, you know, slack on their diet. They, they, they just finished a fucking huge fight. They're, they don't expect to fight again for some time. So even in his training that he might have been doing, he probably wasn't, you know, going as hard as he typically would when he had a fight scheduled. So if you consider two weeks of real training... I mean, if, if Bisping can pull this shit off, uh, 
I, I look forward to it. I, I think it's very possible, but you can definitely not overlook uh, Calvin Gastelum and the threat that he presents. So we'll see, guys. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, still worried, though. Still worried about Bisping or for his health. And uh, again, you know, he's a fighter. He's he's always going to fight. That's what they do, you know, or, or really with any high-level athlete. They, they just kind of have this mindset where they constantly, they see an obstacle and they overcome it and they really know no limits, you know? So unless you put these limits in front of them for their own safety, kind of like, you know, say, hey, okay, you just fought. So now there is a 90 day like time frame that you cannot compete again, um, those are not only in place for the athlete and more more importantly, in my opinion, in place for the athlete, but also for the organization to kind of, you know, uh, protect themselves. So I don't know. You do have to protect the athlete when their mentality will allow them to just fight every every weekend if you let them, you know. Uh, we see a lot of this with Cowboy Cerrone, not necessarily, you know, this immediate of turnarounds. Uh, I think all of his has, have been reasonable but it is kind of like he just needs to clearly he needs to change up something in his training after that loss to Darren Till and a very dominant performance for Darren Till. I mean, uh, so with that being said, we'll get into our next topic, which is Eminem's Walk on Water. Um, this track is fucking amazing, in my opinion. I... I don't think people, well, of course, it's going to be in rotation everywhere. It's Eminem and it's Beyonce. So even, you know, it's just, it's going to be everywhere. And so I'm kind of upset that it is going to be one of those songs that you get tired of because you've heard on the radio so much. But I think this song is fucking great. Even even enough to say it's, it's in, in the realm of M's best songs. Just because of uh, not only Beyonce on it, but also, and giving an amazing performance, of course, uh, nothing else really to be expected from Beyonce than amazing, but with Eminem being so introspective and kind of giving you, you know, giving you the behind the scenes to his, not only his career, I, I think it's kind of also, to me, it was somewhat of an explanation for, uh, not recovery, recovery was okay, but relapse rather, you know, the album that I, I've tried to forget, um, you know, M was, M was a great rapper on it, but it was obviously that voice and the content, it was just kind of lacking, and, and especially so for Eminem, you know, one of, if not the greatest rapper, um, so, yeah, I love this song. I think it's very reminiscent to me of Jay's 444 content where, you know, it's kind of just these elders in rap or these, you know, kind of like the Mount Rushmore of rap. They are the, the key to this aging in, in this art is clearly not to pander to a younger generation because it's going to come off inauthentic or it's going to come off as that old dude trying to appeal you know it's very apparent when it's not your style um and it, and even more so when you're just trying to appeal to a young generation but instead 
talking about your struggles now and just kind of like, you know, being, uh, looking back on your career and being introspective and being honest. Uh, I love it. I think it is, uh, amazing. And I, I love it. It is interesting because Jay-Z and Eminem are kind of the first wave of rappers that we are seeing age in this, in this current era and aging gracefully, you know, still being able to create art. Cause if you, again, if you imagine like five, 10 years ago, well, let's, yeah, let's say 10 years ago, you weren't trying to hear like rap was very young and you weren't trying to hear a, anyone, you know, uh, certainly 50, but maybe even 40, you just, it just, there just was no market for it. But now as rap fans are growing up with their artists, I think that, you know, you just continue, you continually have a fan base to cater to if you produce the right content. And in that same vein, I don't think people who, you know, like the core audience of Jay-Z would want to hear Jay cater to, you know, a younger audience. I mean, look at Dead End Hip Hop's reviews, for example. They trashed um, Magna Carta and somewhat rightfully so. I didn't hate that album, but I do think they, you know, they gave me new perspective on it, just saying that it was very evident to them that he was trying to pander to a young generation and not really saying much in the process, you know, just kind of about, just kind of listing off his recent art purchases and uh, using those to brag. But when you look at the review of 444, it's obviously that that uh, that difference is apparent and it is very you know I, I just love the content that j and m are putting out and i look forward to revival also to touch on revival i uh i love the uh, marketing that m has for it whether that be m or his marketing team i think it's genius you know with the billboards um disguising it as like a medication like a medication ad or you know some shit i just like it it's it's creative it's something different um i'm looking forward to it i don't think we have a date yet i think he's just gonna drop it at random but uh this song is i think more amazing than people give it credit for uh beautiful song m's walk on water and now staying in the realm of music I wanted to touch on T-Pain because I recently was watching an interview with uh, with The Breakfast Club. It was T-Pain at The Breakfast Club. And he was talking about how, how you know, I believe it was Charlemagne that brought up the topic of money that he was owed by cash money and... Uh, and, and Birdman, you know, is kind of at the core of that. So it is, you know, kind of like Birdman owes you this money. Um, he was very passive about it. And that is very weird to me. I mean, I get that. And, and same with Wayne, although Wayne more so in, I mean, recently he hasn't really been talking about it. But if you look at Wayne's opinion, his most recent opinion on the topic, he was saying fuck cash money. So he was pretty clear about how he felt but 
still uh, with T-Pain being so passive and Wayne initially being very passive about it, it's interesting to me. It's interesting that, you know, I get that they might not need the money, but it is like they, they still have a lot of loyalty, it seems like, to Birdman. And when they talk about the topic, they end up talking about, you know, just what they did at Cash Money or or under the watch of Birdman and more so bigging him up for overseeing that. And it's like, when you have that level of loyalty, I understand. And that's very telling on who they are as people. And that's awesome. But when you have a partnership to to whatever degree, and and even it's even worse when you guys are that close, right? In, in Wayne's case, when you're like family. And then when someone turns their back on you, and just kind of, you know, is fucking you over, I would think that loyalty is out the window, just me personally, uh, but I don't know, I just wanted to touch on that briefly, I thought it was bizarre that, that T-Pain was so passive about the, you know, unpaid money, um, he did say that it was, it was the label that is in between, so the label would need to demand the money from Birdman and then the label would pay it out to the artist so that was kind of interesting but that is more so just enabling it right like saying oh well it's it's more so even on the label than Birdman it's like no you could I I feel like you could talk to Birdman as well and tell him especially if you guys you know have this loyal friendship relationship to you know tell him hey man i need my money i mean not that that likely hasn't been done it's just odd it's odd that millions are missing and that's just kind of like okay i mean especially in t-pain's case i guess it's even easier to dismiss just because of when you really think of his discography and all of the singles that this guy has put out i mean he owned you know almost a decade of certainly at least, you know, five, six years on, on the radio, you know, to the point that it was, it was like a running joke that that he was just everywhere, but his sound was infectious. And I don't think at the time, I don't think most people were complaining. It was when Jay started to come around and everyone started to do the T-Pain sound. And then, you know, Jay came around and kind of tried to regulate with the death of autotune. Um, which I think is kind of fucked up because I think, I think T-Pain was always, uh, that was his thing. That was like his sound. And it was more so people using his sound and using it in a shitty way that made the oversaturation apparent. So I don't know. Um, and it's also interesting to think that it's still alive now, just reincarnated with future and that's by no means to say that, you know, Future is copying uh, T-Pain. It is a very different style. Um, but it's it's odd that we have such an ear for this, this auto-tune. And uh, so really, when you think about it, you know, T-Pain brought this up in the interview, how auto-tune is still alive. It didn't die at all. It just kind of reincarnated. Um, it's interesting to think that we, as as uh fans have been listening to this sound for you know what 10 15 years when you think about all the artists who have used it since 
since it was first introduced. So I don't know. It was uh, the main the main point was that I thought it was odd how passive T Pain was about it, and it's unfortunate. I I feel like I don't know if Birdman is just. I highly doubt that he's just withholding the money to withhold the money. I think he is likely in over his head with uh, maybe payments that he's made. I don't know. Because supposedly, you know, he's like filthy rich. But uh, that's the only thing that I could I could see being uh, any sort of reason for him withholding this money. I, I don't know. Hopefully we hear more about it sooner than later and it does get resolved. Although it's not likely. It seems like more and more we're just hearing more artists are not being paid by cash money. So, uh, I don't know. I think this will go on for a while, a while to come. All right, so now to get into uh, some sneaker footwear news. Yet another designer has left... uh, the house of the swoosh for adidas for the three stripes so if you guys remember it was maybe two years ago or so that um the news initially broke that yeah in september of 2014 that mark dulce mark minor and dennis dekovic um all left nike and were leaving for Adidas, and this was kind of telling what was odd, at first it was very odd, especially to me, Um, Adidas was starting to make, you know, a a bit of a commotion at this point, nothing even to make you think that they were going to be as big as they are now, you know, we would have never seen them, well, I, I certainly would have never seen them just developing and continuing to grow and having you know, the breakthrough technology that Boost was, but, uh, or is, is definitely, um, but it was odd at the time, you know, and, and it was, I guess, like a sign of new times to have Mark Dulce and the two other designers leave for Adidas, and, uh, and then I, I believe this was right after Kanye had signed with them, and, uh, it was interesting at that time, but, now hearing another designer has left for adidas it's uh let me see if i can find the designer's name real quick um no i don't think i have the designer's name uh but it's just interesting and I don't think that Boost is dead at all. I think it's a, I get the the Ultra Boost. And this is what I think people are conflicting. I think the Ultra Boost is dead. You know, you can only, uh, just like the Yeezy V2. I said a couple episodes back that, you know, I I get tired. Or at this point, I'm tired of seeing the, the Yeezy sock design. You know, just in general, I don't give a fuck if it's V2, fucking V3. I, I really don't care. I'm I'm pretty tired of seeing the same design. So that's why the Mud Rat and the Wave Runner look so appealing, I feel like, partially to me. Um, but 
I, I feel like people are confusing that, yes, Ultra Boost is for sure dead. I mean, when you, you have to figure, when you just change up the color, and it is pretty, although you can do quite a bit, it is also limiting in the sense that it's this knit, and, and what really are you going to do? You know, how many different color combinations can you make with it? Uh, especially before, you know, I mean, we're on what, version 4, I believe is being teased right now in uh late 2017 so i mean it's like and and the the form factor of the shoe for the most part hasn't changed at all and i I don't know i mean adidas clearly needs to start uh giving us boost in a different form or on a different with a different upper surely because that's the confusion ultra boost is is gone that bitch is dead but Boost is a technology, and it's a technology that, you know, leapfrogged any other footwear technology, like, as far as comfort, and so, uh, that I don't think is dead at all, it's innovation, how the fuck is innovation dead, you know, that's like saying the the OLED in iPhones and in Samsung phones and so on is dead, no, it's, it's fucking, it's innovation, it's a technology, and it is the leading technology, so until something better comes out, that boost is still alive and well it's just yes the ultra boost that bitch is gone same with the nmds i i i bought the initial uh all black on white nmds because it was clean uh but i've i've that clearly is dead you know i haven't bought uh, any ultra boost or any boost in general for that matter um since so and, and I ended up selling those, but, um, yeah, boost is still alive and well, and, uh, getting back to my original point, I think this is more telling than Jeff Staple, because Jeff Staple was recently on a episode of this complex sneaker show, um, what the fuck is it called? I forget what the sneaker show is called. Um, but it's a weekly, uh, roughly 40 minute long sneaker show that they, uh, complex sneaker editors talk about, you know, where, where footwear is. It's actually really dope. I I really like what they're doing with that. Um, but Jeff Staple was on recently cause he has the, or he had the black pigeon dunk coming out. Um, and he was saying that he he has a wall of about 40 high of Ultra Boost that he cannot wear anymore. And, um, and although I do get what he's saying, he, <laughs> mind you, he's promoting a sneaker for the competition on that very same show. You know, so although... And I don't think Jeff Staple would really speak on any other brand or designer that way. So it was kind of like jarring to me to hear him talk, you know, like uh, to kind of insult Adidas in such a way. Uh, but there is a there is a level of honesty there. And um, it just ties back to, you know, Ultra Boost is is dead, but Boost is still the most comfortable tech uh, for footwear out there. And until either Adidas or Nike or any other footwear company comes out with a better technology, 
boost is is still alive and well it just needs to be repurposed or or redesigned reformatted um however i think these designers leaving nike for adidas are more telling than you know quote unquote boost being dead and adidas needing to re-innovate no motherfucker the innovation is there they they do need the designers to repurpose the technology so i think there's a little bit of confusion um and it's interesting it proves this this yet another designer leaving for adidas just proves that we're gonna have yet another interesting uh interesting year ahead in you know come 2018 2019 for footwear um and i hope that you know, obviously Nike is still good on designers. They they have Tinker, they have legendary designers. But I do think, as far as strategy, they need to bring in you know just young, fresh designers. So, and and with them being the leading footwear designer worldwide, like or the leading footwear company, excuse me, worldwide, like that shouldn't be too big of an issue, right? You know, you can just have just seek the talent. And, uh, and I think Nike is slowly adapting. I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful because I, I don't like, it's not that I'm for either or I'm not for Nike. I'm not for Adidas. I'm for innovation. And I like the variants that we have now, you know, the, the variety it's, it's really dope. Similar to music. Like we just have such a variety right now. Um, and so I like having big competitors that go against each other. So I think Nike is finding a bit of strategy that is working, especially with, you know, having a new designer like Virgil come to Nike and to be able to read not only, I mean, that collaboration for multiple reasons was groundbreaking. I'll say it all day because to allow him one to collaborate on a Air Jordan one, but two also to collaborate in depth and take the shoe apart and not just slap, you know, different colored panels on it is huge. And, um, I don't, and then also the quantity to, I don't know if it happened, like they saw what he did and then wanted more of it, or if they initially planned for a 10 piece collaboration, but that as well, that's very telling. And especially for that Air Jordan one, uh, to be, why you know kind of unanimously decided as the shoe of the year i mean certainly if you look at hype it's kind of undeniable in my opinion uh but i i'm hopeful that this is nike you know as as long as they're looking at this they're they're realizing okay this is this is clearly what we need to do open the door to collaborators uh not be afraid to bring you know new talent in and i i hope that goes into their designer team as well, you know, constantly bringing on new up and coming designers with fresh takes because, you know, repurposing or, or rather re-releasing and repurposing, creating hybrids of lineage product and and just old old Nike product. It's great. But when that's all you're focusing on and that's really all you're banking on, that's where it gets dangerous, because when Jordans aren't nearly as popular anymore uh, what do you do? And I think Virgil's collaboration is hopefully somewhat of an answer to that. 
Um, but I want to see new product, new product from Nike Sportswear and just uh, on the whole footwear range. Uh, so I think hopefully Nike is listening and they're they're adapting. I mean, they're, you know, they're not the hugest company for no reason. Um, but I think for that same reason, when you have a ship that big, it can be difficult to, you know, start to slowly turn it when you have been going full force ahead with your product strategy and re-releasing uh, lineage product. So hopefully, and, and this, I, again, I think this excites me and I think it just caters to, uh, it caters to us as the sneaker heads and the sneaker market. Um, and it just makes for ultimately a very interesting year and couple years ahead. So with that being said, I wanted to talk on the upcoming Yeezy releases. So we have the Frozen Yellow that I believe already released. Yeah, it has already released this past Saturday. Um, But there are two more colorways and they have dates now. So the Beluga 2.0, which is essentially just the Beluga, but darker uh, from what I can tell is set to release on the 25th this saturday um and then the blue tint is scheduled for a december 16th release date um i think it's cool to see you know the with the frozen yellow and the blue tint at least this is the most color we've seen on the line you know and and so i appreciate that but again, I'm I'm pretty tired of the V2 in general. Um, I will say, to focus on positives, I will say that uh, the more I see product photos of the frozen yellow, the more I like that navy-ish slate blue that's like marbled along the upper. And obviously, as I've said on previous podcasts, I really like the hit of red on the yellow or the voltage colorway and I like the way that it pops but um the beluga 2.0 I couldn't even I I think it's just darker like I said um and I, I don't know I mean I don't really care too much for it um the blue tint though I'm as excited as I could get for another Yeezy um or at least another v2 Yeezy uh these do look good especially with that really really light blue and then that what slate gray like or or light gray um that's like swirled into the upper and then of course the red hit on it i really like the uh the contrast that that one provides but um yet again i couldn't be more ready for the wave runner and the mud rat like let's see some more colorways of those you know, just cause it, just for the sake of it fucking being something different. Um, but giving credit where credit is due, at least, you know, the two of these colorways offer more color to the line. And with the Beluga 2.0 release, if you did fuck with the Beluga 1, like the initial, the 1.0, I guess, um, at least you'll have another chance to buy it at retail if you, you know, if you didn't get the first one. So, um, all right, I think that's going to conclude the episode. So, 
Um, as always, I appreciate you guys. If you haven't given the playlist a listen, go and check it out if you're bored or you have time. Or uh, and I, I just want feedback. You know, let me know if you like the tracks. Uh, what else you would like to see on there? And again, if you're an artist, um, I want to support you. I you know, I think artists are fucking amazing. Uh, and I want to hear new shit. You know, I want to hear up and coming artists. So if you are and and whatever genre, if you're fucking singing, if you're rapping, whatever, like you know, send me a track on whatever platform and I hope to you know just kind of help expose give the community exposure and I I love you know like that community aspect of it you know so that's why I emphasize it so goddamn much and you guys are probably getting tired of hearing it um but with that being said I fucking love you guys and I'll be back soon